You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Craigfield, coming at you with another episode of the Seeking Excellence Podcast. Very excited today to be joined by my guest, Leah Hunt. Leah, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Nathan? (laughs) I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I am generally like pretty unorganized and, and have my, uh, you know, scheduling issues, but I feel like you've really gone through it as one of our guests. So I appreciate you being so flexible with what we were coming on. We've been playing no, on this for a while. You're good. I trust me. I've been in this, your same boat, you know, having to reschedule and reorganize and revamp on the fly. So I totally understand it. So you're all good. That's great. Yeah. And you're doing some amazing work. And um, I think from what I know, have an amazing life story and, and uh, incredible witness to faith. So I'm excited to get to share that. And so I think a great way to start would just be you kind of introducing yourself. Just tell us a little about who you are and what you do. Yes, I'd love to. So hello, everybody. My name is Leah Hunt. I am 22 right now. I live in North Texas, right here, right outside of Dallas. And really, I guess a lot about me really starts from a young age. I, at two, I moved to Steubenville, Ohio. Yes, the Steubenville, Ohio. Um, For those of the Catholic world, you definitely understand what Steubenville and Franciscan University mean. I was neighbors to Scott Hahn. So, um, super cool experience. Uh, my dad always says that if he were to write a book, it would be that Kimberly Hahn spanks her kids too. Cause you know, <laughs> be neighbors with them. That's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, so I come from, you know, a cradle Catholic family. I am the third kiddo out of five. There's four girls and one boy in my household. So lots of fun, lots of girliness. So, uh, but yeah, it's good. I grew up on a ranch right outside of Steubenville. Um, we grew up, you know, on the land. I had horses and goats and you name it, we had it. And yeah, that's a lot about me. I come from a military family. My dad and my brother are both um, serving. So definitely been lived in more places than just Ohio. But for primarily of my life, I grew up in Ohio. Uh, so I guess the real nitty gritty about me, I guess you can say, is so when what really kind of 
I don't want to say started my life, but at a young age, I was two and a half and I was diagnosed with a rare form of eye cancer known as retinoblastoma. And so I had cancer in my left eye and I can tell you, we did six rounds of chemotherapy. We did radiation. My chemo, my cancer went away. It then it came back. And, you know, what do you do when something wants to be your friend, but you don't want it to be your friend? You keep fighting it. And so we did 26 surgeries and then we did a radioactive isotope on my left eye. And so that killed the cancer cells. But with that, it also took the complete vision of my left eye. And so ever since I've been about four years old, I haven't been able to see out of my left eye. And, you know, that is just that's not all of the Leah story. That's just the beginning of my story. You know, cancer definitely has affected me in every single aspect of my life in every single way down to even playing sports and driving somehow cancer has affected it. But I can tell you that now as a 22 year old, I am so grateful for my cancer and I would fight cancer again and again and again if it meant I can do what I do now. And what I do now is I run a nonprofit charity known as Leah's Kids. And what we do is we financially help families fight childhood cancer. But then we also walk with the family and give each family their own party. And that's called a crown of kid party. And I'm sure we'll get into this later because I can talk for hours on it. And <laughs> but we really help families fight childhood cancer. And we do that financially, but also, you know, emotionally and spiritually, mentally, anything you name it. Um, and so that's like in a very quick nutshell, that's Leah. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you left what I would consider one of your greatest fun facts out because aren't I, I can't remember if you're a quadruplet or a triplet, right? No, okay. I'm actually no. not. We oh. all look alike though. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because I think I've seen I, I follow I th- follow, I think Lucia. Is that one of your sister's names? Yeah, Lucia. Lucia. Well, I can't get any of your names right. So <laughs> I'm not messing up all the girl names. I, I remember seeing like one. I think you guys like wear like matching pajamas or something. This is yeah, like and I did time. I did <laughs> catch it in quadruplets for life, but yeah. we all so I have That's my oldest so brother Logan, and then I have Lauren, me, Lucia, and Liliana. And so we're all L's. We all have curly hair. We all built alike. You know, we're all very close in age and very similar. And so every time we go on vacation, people always ask us if we're twins, especially my older sister and I, because we're about a year in age apart. And so they always think her and I are twins. And when we go on vacation, it's kind of like, okay, well, who's going to be twins this vacation? And <laughs> um, because people always ask us, and it's just something fun that we do. Um, but no, we're not actually quadruplets. That's hilarious. But- people think we are. So we just kind of roll with that. it. We're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I really thought that. I thought that was so fun. Um, that's so interesting, uh, <laughs> but that's great. And then I know another part of your story too, is working with hard as nails. Yes. Yeah. So that is definitely, so I graduated high school in 2018 and 2018 is the same year that I launched Leah's kids, the, the foundation that I run. And I started Leah's kids as I really thought, Well, I really knew that God had me here for a reason, you know, that I was saved not once, but twice from cancer. And I saw how it impacted my family. And I see all these kids around the world going through cancer. And I knew I could do more and I knew I wanted to do more with my life. And at the end of the day, like our life is a gift and like how we live our life is our gift back to God. And so I really took that to heart and wanted to run with it. And so I created Leah's Kids. 
At the same time, though, I really wanted to be a missionary. And I had a friend who previously did Heart as Nails Ministries up in Syracuse, New York with Justin Fatika, the Your Amazing Team. And I applied one day, like on a whim. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. And then it turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Because not only did I get to work with Justin himself, but like he, I got to learn the back end of running a nonprofit, but then also traveling, you know, the United States and public speaking and talking with kids and meeting other kids that fought cancer. It wasn't until I became a missionary that I was able to meet someone close to my age that was fighting cancer because I grew up in a small town. There wasn't a lot of people and I didn't get treated in Ohio. I got treated in Pennsylvania. So multiple times a week, my family was flying to, to, Pennsylvania to Philadelphia to receive treatment. And so when you're in the hospital, you know, you're in, you're out or you're in your room, you're not really, you know, playing that much. And so to really, of course, I met kids in the hospital as a kiddo, but as a teenager and as a young adult, that wasn't, I wasn't able to be surrounded by them. And, but when I became a missionary, I was able to meet these high schoolers from all over the world that were fighting cancer. And by me sharing my story to hundreds of people, I was able to have this impact that I didn't even know I could have through God working with me. And so everyone thought I was crazy. You know, I started a nonprofit, hits the front page of the newspaper, blows up. And then I go, okay, bye. I'm moving to New York to go be a missionary for two years. Um, But I think that's just, just proves that God works in crazy ways. And I can tell you that like everything I've learned at Heart as Nails and everything that Justin taught me has come full circle into Leah's kids. Yeah, that's so cool. I love it. Yeah, it's so interesting to see how God really does provide you the opportunities to build you, you know, and the skill sets and wisdom and connections and all the stuff that you need to kind of fulfill your life's purpose. And I think that it's really cool what you said there about how, uh, you know, you realize after, um, you know, after two bouts with cancer that God had you here for a reason. And I think that I, I've interviewed a number of people on the podcast who have gone through either life-threatening or, you know, whether it be burn, you know, burn victims or car crash, near-death experiences of some sort. Um, and I think that it's really interesting and you can hear there's a lot of interviews and things like that, inspirational stories out there of people who have gone through similar things to you that just have a crazy inspiring stories, right? Um, and one thing that I think is in common is that kind of like purpose that derives from the near-death experience, you know, and you can really feel like God has you here for a reason. How do you feel like um, that translates or how do you translate that message to people maybe who haven't gone through such a, a deep experience, you know, because I think that sometimes, yeah, there, there can be a lot of obviously suffering within tragedy, but um, purpose can really come out of that when you come out of it victorious. So how do you kind of translate the message of everybody's here for, for a reason and everybody has the same, you know, level and God given purpose as you, um, without having, you know, kind of been saved in the way that you were. Right. So I think when I'm working with people that, you know, are religious or non-religious and the, working with people who let's say have gone through childhood cancer or fighting cancer. Something that I always pull back from is um, 
James 1.12. And it talks about, you know, we all bear our cross to receive our crown in eternal glory. And that no matter what it is that we're going through, rather it's cancer, anxiety, and we, it's just stress of being a mom or maybe, you know, the pressure of being, you know, running a household, whatever that is, like we all have that cross, but how we carry it is what matters. And that we're all going to get our crown in eternal glory, no matter what the outcome is here on earth. And I think when you're working with people who maybe who haven't fought cancer or really feel that they have been blessed in their lifetime and then turning that message around and bringing it to them is really just being, you know what? Everybody has a mission in life. What's that one thing that gets you up in the morning? You know, what is your why? What do you love? Maybe that's being with your friends. Maybe that's being going to high school and just being, you know, a member on the basketball team. Like, what is your why? And, you know, you can advocate and evangelize and cheer people on through that why. So, you know, you don't have to have a story of cancer or a story of death or divorce, but you still have a purpose and you still have a calling and maybe your calling is just being where you are. Maybe it's being a high schooler kid and just encouraging someone in your classroom. You know, maybe it's just saying someone on the side of the road, like, Hey, you're amazing. And they go, what, what, what do you think makes you amazing? Well, Hey, they may not know it, why they're amazing, but you know why they're amazing. They're amazing because they're a child of God and you can deliver that message in any way that you want, rather you're religious or not religious, but you can still encourage people. So that's always what I have found to be the most impactful is knowing that, yeah, we don't have to have a story. I mean, we all do have a story. Maybe you just don't know what your story, your mission is, but you have the power to encourage and the power to give hope. Right. That's awesome. And I think there's so much gratitude in it. And I think it's so difficult early on, um, in suffering, or even when you're not, maybe didn't go through as much of a difficult life to just be grateful for the things that you have. Right. And I think some people are given, uh, certain advantages. And I think when you, um, fail to really recognize the resources that we have and, and the advantages you've been given, then it's easy to, um, be ungrateful for those things and then struggle to find the purpose of what you can make out of those opportunities. Right. And that's obviously like the, the theme, I think of like the Western world right now, right? Like we're so ungrateful for all the things and opportunities and stuff that, that are provided to us. And I think that, that kind of filters in, um, to the church and even amongst Catholics, you know, a lot of times where it's like, we don't have this purpose and we just are like chronic complainers and, and just mm -hmm. super negative. So, um, I think it's really, I mean, it's really powerful. Just awesome to see how positive you look at it now, especially, you know, still being so young at 22. Um, I think it'd be so easy to be um, frustrated and angry. And I, I'm always interested. So that's what I want to kind of talk about next is I think it's so interesting for people who really do go through these like really, really dark and, and diff not dark. I guess I, I can't say that it was dark for you, but like these really, really difficult, um, you know, I'm sure it was trying and challenging and painful and all of that. Uh, 26 surgeries does not sound like a good time. I think I've had surgery twice. If you got my wisdom teeth, you know, or I guess I had my adenoids removed as well. And then I had Achilles surgery. That was the only one that was really actually hard. Yeah. Um, that sounds painful. Yeah, for sure. But, um, yeah, talk to me about that. Like, especially as you're growing up as a kid, like, I think it's difficult now to go through different types of suffering. You know, we were talking about before this, the, the pain of going through a miscarriage. I remember tearing my Achilles, like right when I was trying to get seeking excellence off the ground and, um, different frustrations and difficulties during my time in the army, you know, where it's like, sometimes you are on a trajectory and you're just like, why Lord, like, why now, why is this happening to me? Um, people experience that when they go through breakups or, um, other medical conditions, a lot of different things. Right. 
Um, but for you, I mean, as a kid, like that's like your protect, that's supposed to be like your protected, fun, mm-hmm. living it up time. How did you not, like, how did you avoid forming a negative uh, perspective on God or did you for a time and then it changed or what was kind of that journey like? So really, I think since I was so young fighting cancer, it really took until I was older to really understand the depth of childhood cancer and the depth of what I went through, my body went through, my family went through. Like for me at one point as a kiddo, I thought cancer was normal. I was in my daily schedule. So I thought it was in everyone's daily schedule. I, at one point wanted to name my horse cancer. And I remember, yeah, (laughs) I remember my older sister, we were in the car with my mom and she just turned and looked at me. She's like, no, Leah, you don't want to name your horse cancer. You don't want that. And I think that was like the first time and like first really vivid memory I have. And I was like, wait, what is cancer again? Like, what is this? Like, I know I have cancer. I know I do this and I know I go see my doctor, but I loved my doctor, you know, but then I also knew I had really scary memories of being pinned down and getting medicine or getting shots and being wheeled into the hospital or, you know, in the ambulance, like, like I, and I would, as I'd get older, I'd have more flashbacks coming. And so it really, it really was when she said that, that I was able to be like, okay, what is this? And then you kind of go on this investigation, this journey of trying to really understand what happened. And like, I just start asking questions, you know, and my family was very open with me. And what really helped me a lot was my older siblings. So when I was diagnosed at the time, I only had an older brother and a sister. So my two younger siblings came later. And so my older brother, Logan's and sister, Lauren, they have helped me so much in my journey because they were mostly my brother because he was more of of age to remember, but able to teach and not teach, but tell me and show me how it impacted him. And they were able to like, tell me of different things that I have forgotten. And as I've gotten older, even now more things have come back and more memories have like fallen into place. But there was a point in my life where I was like, well, I know I went through cancer and I kind of have, I'm in a fork in the road. I have two decisions I can make. I can make the decision of, I hate God. Why did God do this to me? How dare he? What did I do wrong? What did my family do wrong? Well, I'm mad. This is unfair. I'm blind. People make fun of me. I lost my hair. This is wrong. I have migraines. Why am I missing school? You know, I had that track of life. And then I looked and I turned the other way and I had the aspect of, you know what? We all have a cross we can bear and we all have a story and we all have been through something, but how am I going to let it define me? Am I going to take this and choose to see the good? Because it really comes down to a choice. I think at the end of the day, we can be the most faithful, strongest Catholic you can ever meet. But when suffering hits, that is really when our faith is active. And it really comes down to a choice. And I had a choice to either be mad at God or to see the goodness in this negative, you know, choose to find the good and to be the good and to give back and to help others and, you know, live my life. Because if you're angry and depressed and mad, you're not really living. You're on earth, but you're not living. You're, you're, basically being sat on suffocated or you can live and, you know, make that decision and see the light 
And yeah, it's hard. And trust me, there's days where I would like sit at my kitchen counter and I would squeeze my eyes shut and I would do everything and I'd pray as hard as I can. So the vision would come back in my eye. I'd be like, okay, God, if I do this for you and if I pray this rosary and I open my eyes, will you give me my sight back? Mm -hmm. And the sight never came back. But that's a part of my story, you know? And that's a part of now when I sit with a kid who's half blind, I can be like, I've been there too. And so to back to answer the question, to answer your question, that's that's kind of where I put myself. I had two decisions. I could go left or I could go right. And so I went with the path of, of living and living for God and with God. Yeah, which obviously is the right choice. <laughs> it's definitely the more joyful and <laughs> purpose-driven choice. It is choice. definitely an adventure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's great. And I think that you hit on something so important there at the end is the idea of wanting healing and not receiving it, right? Because right. I mean, how man, how many people can relate to that? Literally anybody who is like stuck with the Christian journey for more than four days, probably has earnestly ached and yearned for something, prayed for it, whether that be a spouse, whether that be a child, a certain job, you know, like we're house hunting right now. And like, I keep coming like to this, like, uh, you know, every weekend I'm like falling in love with the house. <laughs> I'm like, should we put an offer on it or not? Then you pray for it. Then it doesn't happen or it does or whatever. And like, I mean, there's so many different things and so many different aspects of life. Um, and I think that that can be one of the most difficult things. That's one thing that I, I, you know, I talked about this, a friend of mine, um, she's actually my best friend's wife. They recently miscarried as well. We were kind of talking about, uh, one of the biggest frustrations within, um, infertility issues. Uh, that's really difficult for me is seeing so many like good Catholic couples who are like striving to do everything the right way, um, and struggle to conceive or, or, you know, have miscarriages and things like that. Um, and then one of Emily's best friends is a nurse as well, um, labor and delivery nurse. And she'll talk about like crackheads who come in on like their 10th baby that didn't know they were pregnant, you know, um, and these different situations where you have these people who, or like the level of abortion in the country, right? Like all these people who don't want to get pregnant and don't want to have kids and they end up aborting their kids versus all these families who do want to and struggle to, I think it's really, uh, difficult to, to pray for something so earnestly. And so, um, yeah, just, just so fervently and then still be denied it. Um, and still right. even in that, like trust that God has a plan and that God still loves you. Right. When your dream or your wish, your biggest desire of your heart is being denied and being able to stay firm in your faith when that door keeps closing, it's, it's hard. That takes true faith and true resilience. But I think at the end of the day, something that I've always told myself is that God knows the deepest part of our heart and he knows the desire that we have, but he also knows the timeline and we know our desire and we know what our heart wants, but we don't know the timeline. And that's kind of where you, we, we really, you know, put, put our mouth in by what we say is that us having this strong faith. And that's, that's part of having that faith is knowing that we don't have control. And it's like, trusting him to the point of audacity to where you cannot even think or breathe or anything else, you know, because you have to trust him so much in that journey. But it also is one of the hardest things to have and to hold on to as a Catholic. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the things, you know, and I think I try to categorize this and it can be tough before you do the podcast, but every, every podcast into kind of where in the seven pillars does it fall into. And one thing that I think is really um, obvious in your story is just the amount of mental toughness that you had to have, you know, and you, you talked about that. And especially when you, when you juxtapose those two options that you had to one to either hate God and turn away from him or to like continue to follow him. 
Um, like, I mean, that's like the epitome of mental toughness, right? To be able to look at that and those two options, because one is so much easier and so much more tempting. Um, it's not easier in the long run, but when you're young, especially, you don't really know that and you're not usually thinking super long term. Um, but to really like, I think one of the things that that makes suffering uh, that can really help us to have purpose, can really help us to keep from being like fully discouraged or entering in despair that you talked about indirectly is context. And that's kind of what I feel like you were able to do because you talked about how you're like, everybody has their cross to bear, right? Everybody has their things that they're going through. And that's how we should really look at it. Um, usually, I think what people often do is they go through suffering and they get bitter about it. And then they act like nobody else is going through what they're going through. And they get hateful towards others and spiteful and mm-hmm. vengeful and all these other things versus being like, uh, you know, everybody's going through some type of struggling and suffering. And uh, Emily and I, our book of the month, uh, book last month was, or I guess this month is May 31st, but it was on, um, it was called, it didn't start with you about how childhood trauma getting passed down through generations and things like that. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things they talked about in like healing your relationship with your parents for, um, people who have, I mean, we all have different levels of wounds and stuff from our parents, right? Cause uh, right. other than, other than Jesus, <laughs> he was the only one, you know, uh, who didn't have that. Maybe, maybe say Joseph best up here and there, but, um, <laughs> probably not too severely. Right. They were probably more right. like, mild scratches than, than deep wounds. But, um, it talks about how you have to like recognize and enter into the pain that that your parents went through. Right. And really like experience and understand that on a deep level so that you can like recognize that they're human beings, that they were flawed and that they were struggling to like figure out their own ish, you know? And so I think that's so critical and so beautiful how you were able to do that, to be able to say, you know, everybody kind of goes through things, but I'm curious, was there anything specific maybe, or like a friend or like, how did you kind of come to that realization? Cause I remember coming to that when I was in college, it really wasn't college for me when I kind of stopped complaining about my own story and realized, okay, everybody kind of has their own crap. Um, you know, I had advantages over some people, disadvantage over some people. Um, but one of the biggest things for me was going to the Dominican Republic and seeing uh, on a mission trip and really seeing what like actual poverty looked like, um, and being like, wow, I'm extraordinarily blessed, you know, and like, I didn't realize how hard life could be in other places and other circumstances. And now I'm an adult in the United States and I kind of get to make my life what I want it to be. But did you have any like pivotal moment or anything that kind of like helped you to, to see that? Or maybe it was when you were an adult and you met other people struggling with cancer or what would it have been for you? So I think a really big pivotal moment and just the journey of how Leah's kids came and my mindset is when I really started to understand cancer. And then I heard about a a kiddo that passed away. And that's kind of what I was like, what am I doing with my life? You know, where am I going? And then that I was like, wow, because I grew up from a, a young age, even, you know, right out of treatment, you know, doing lemonade stands and working with American Cancer Society and, you know, going and speaking and different things like that about cancer. And I, every time I'd go visit my doctor, I would bring her a small donation. I would do one in my elementary school, a fundraiser, and I'd give it to her every time I came. And so like, I grew up, you know, not really, I wasn't fundraising thinking down the line when I'm 18, I'm going to run a foundation, but more in the sense of like wanting to help other kids. But it really clicked when I heard about another kid passing away. And then when, how we really got started is there was a local young girl who was losing her eyesight and I like 
Baptist church or Methodist church was having a fundraiser and they needed a speaker. And I was 16, 15, 16 at the time. And they got a hold of my dad and asked me to come. And this was like the first big crowd I ever spoke in front of. Wow. And, um, and I just got up there and I just remember my dad helping me write my first ever speech. And I got up there and I spoke to her about into the crowd about what it means to lose your eyesight because this girl was actively losing her sight and how to, you know, how my faith has carried me through me losing my eyesight and growing up half blind. And, and then from that moment, I got in contact with the news anchor who then said, you should get into modeling. We did that who then got me and connected with a, one of the producers of Deadpool when I was like in high school, the randomest thing. And I was like, I don't even know what that is, but okay. And then we did this video <laughs> and like this video went like huge and everyone was like, well, what's Leah doing next? And I was like, well, what am I doing next? And then we formed Leah's kids and then like everything just kind of came together, but really what was like, okay, what am I doing is when I saw other kids dying basically. And yeah. as sad as that is, but then I all, but I also, from a young age, I've always had a really, really strong relationship with St. Therese. She mm. is like my best friend. We are, we are, I cannot wait to die. Cause I hope she's up there. <laughs> well, I know she's up there, but like, we're going to hang out and I cannot wait. And I know that's crazy, <laughs> but like, she, <laughs> she is like the best person ever. If she was on earth, I would have like secret handshakes with her. And so, so <laughs> um, from like a young age, I have just. I don't know if I've just been blessed or what, but I've just had a strong devotion to her and a strong relationship with Jesus. And ever since I was, could write, that's what I would be writing to Jesus. What can I do for you today? What am I going to do? Where are you calling me? Like, like what's next? Thank you for saving me. Thank you. And I would just say thank you over and over and over again. And then I can now looking back those prayers, I didn't even know what I was praying as a seven-year-old, as those prayers have become into what Leah's kids is and the reality of how my life has gone to where it is now is from those just authentic little kid prayers that I prayed to St. Therese every single day has grown. And that has, I don't know. So I know I'm going off tangent here, but it's just like all these things have come together. So I don't really have an answer. Just one thing. It literally has just been my entire life. Yeah, no, that's great. I think that's super helpful. And I think that's a great uh, transition. I'd like to talk more about you kind of entering into that suffering with other people and really the founding of, of Leah's kids. But one other question I had kind of on like your childhood journey that I think uh, you'll probably be able to provide some interesting insight on is what was your experience like once, because you, you talked about this, I thought it was really interesting going back to when you talked about wanting to name your horse cancer and like starting to process and realize what cancer was, how it was impacting your life, how it was impacting your family's life. Did you have any experiences of feeling like a burden to your family? And how did you kind of like get like heal that wound and like grow through that to understand? Um, right. So I want to say I ever felt like a burden. I definitely know kids that have, but I did go yeah. through like a few months where I just felt guilty mm. and they call it survivor's guilt. and. I, it wasn't until like, I was a little bit older, but I just kind of felt guilty, especially I started following along on like social media, all these 
kids that were passing away. And I just felt horrible. I was just like, oh my gosh, all these, like, it was just sad. And I just felt guilty. And I was like, well, here I am complaining that I have to go to track practice, you know? Um, And so I would say that definitely, that definitely played a role. But I, I can also say that being the kid that your mom and dad have to take to the hospital all the time can definitely be hard because you now have siblings and you're asking your siblings to understand cancer. And now you have parents leading a family where one kiddo is sick, but my cancer diagnosis affected everybody. So that was hard because it would put a strain on different relationships because mom and dad would always be me. Well, I have a sister who's only a year older than me and she doesn't understand why mom and dad and Leah go off on the car for four days and then come back, you know? And so, and then there's times where I was, would come home after a chemo treatment and I couldn't, you know, go play outside and couldn't go anywhere. And my dad was in the Navy. So he's, you know, doing his thing, busy. And my mom's taking me to and from the hospital. But then when we're home and my dad's away at work, we can't, my mom just, just can't walk outside and take us to the playground because I, I'm so sick. I can't even get off the couch. And so it definitely, that, that has affected, you know, growing up that played a big role just because you have a bunch of kids trying to understand something so large and deep And so I can say like that always was hard, but then part of me, and this is kind of off topic, but I always say the battle with childhood cancer or really anything starts behind closed doors. Like, yes, physically, mentally, while I was fighting, that's one journey, but there's a whole other fight when you're in remission and nobody's looking anymore and nobody really cares that you fought cancer anymore, but now you're stuck alone in your room trying to figure out everything and having all these demons come to the surface and you're trying to figure out and understand. And I can tell you that, like, I don't know if you ever heard of the saying, like chemo brain, Mm -hmm. it's, it's insane. Not many people know about it, but literally chemo is so toxic and radiation is so toxic for a body. And then you put it into a kid's body that it has lifelong lasting effects on you. And I can tell you now that like, I'm still recovering and I'm wow. 22 years old, but I can like, it affected me in school, like horrible memory, like migraines every day. I have, you know, one eye and then you have an eye that drifts and that's a different color and kids are making fun of you and you're wearing glasses. And at that time, you know, you're with immature elementary kids and (laughs) they want to say things. And so I can tell you like all those scenarios. And then I had like a special aide in school who would take tests with me and write my notes for me and someone who would follow me around each classroom. So then you have all this going on and you have all these kids saying things to you, but now mom and dad are coming into the school system to meet with the principal. And it's just like one thing after another, there's like no smooth ride. And I can say that's kind of what really brought that burden, that guilty feeling, because now it's affecting everybody and you're been out of treatment for 10 years, but yet you're still in it. Yeah. That's wild. And and so tell me about what was the journey of like the process, like going from being bullied for those things in school. And then you said you were 16 when they reached out to you about modeling. Like, what was yes. that transition? So- <laughs> like, you know what I mean? For being like made fun of for it. And now you're like doing modeling. Yeah, it was, 
it was it was crazy but okay so to be really honest i was really shy in like junior high high school i even transferred schools like it got i went to the catholic school in steubenville and it got so bad my parents pulled me out put me in public school and the public school was able to help me more than the private school and you know i still love my private school and everything but I, so then when I transferred schools, that's when everything really started taking off and nobody really knew me. Like, of course they knew me because it was right. a small town, but I wasn't sharing. Like I really kept to myself. I was quiet when I started Leah's kids. Nobody even knew Leah's kids existed. Like I was donating to kids and nobody knew. And like, and then on Easter Sunday, one day it hit the newspapers Everybody knew the next day I went to track practice and my coach was like, Leah, come stand at the front. And he was, and I was like, okay, you know, shy little yeah. me. And, and he was like, guys, Leah, da, 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 da. And we went into the store and I was like, oh, okay. And then like, it really wasn't until I went and was a missionary with Justin that like my, so many things in my personality, like just clicked, like. I learned I was an extrovert and I learned that I like to lead and I learned that like I can public speak and like different like gifts that I didn't know that I had really were able to really grow during my time of serving others. It made no sense. But uh, so, yeah, it really was just like all in the quiet. Like I like my remember my dad every Sunday would drive me to like my model. I signed with like a modeling agency and he would drive me every Sunday and we would go either go to classes or like acting classes or we, you know, we would meet with the team and kind of game plan. We would talk photo shoots and then like that Monday morning I'd go to school, go to track practice and nobody would have any idea. And it was just like, I kept it. I just kept, kept quiet about it, I guess. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that had to be quite the, quite the transition, you know? Um, but yeah, I think, uh, it's so awesome. Yeah. How that all led to you kind of starting all of this and really cool. I think how you carry it with such humility, you know, in, in the work that you do. And even then probably it was probably a mix of humility and shyness, but still there's definitely some humility in there, which oh, is really awesome. You. But I'm curious to hear about now, like the actual, like, how'd you get started? What are the ideas? I mean, I guess your idea for Leah's kids kind of came, you were fundraising when you were really tiny, you know, doing the lemonade stand and stuff like that. But when did you kind of like have the idea or, or really feel called to like formally start it and, and really get going? Right. So I filed the 501c3 paperwork on my 18th birthday. And because you have to be 18. (laughs) I learned that one. So I had to wait. (laughs) Uh, You had to be 18. But really, I kind of like what I said earlier, me wanting to do more. But I think something that's so unique about Leah's kids is that we don't give to hospitals and we don't give to research. And yes, those things are so important. And like, I firmly stand by them. But in my heart, Leah's kids is for the family. And so when I was working with the American Cancer Society or different organizations like that, that was dominantly research or hospital based. I knew that I was able to do more. I wanted to interact with these kids. I wanted to see them and see the families. I just didn't want to, you know, give to research, I guess. So that's kind of where the vision of Leah's kids came from. And I was like, well, I want to do it for the family. The money goes to them for them to pick for whatever they want to use it for. And so that kind of was what 
got the ground running. And then, you know, we created Leah's kids and I was like, okay, well, if I have a donation ceremony, my dad's like, we'll make a big check. We made a big check. And then I was like, okay, well with this big check, what are we going to do? I'm just going to knock on their front door and give them a check. <laughs> I'm like, hi, I'm Leah. Here you go. Um, and then that's kind of where we got the idea of the crown of kid parties. And that all stems from what I was talking about earlier about James one twelve. You know, we all bear a cross to receive our crown and internal glory. And I, so I made it a crown of kid event and literally they get crowned. I have like beautiful crowns for the girls and the guys that they get. And the whole theme around that is royalty. And also just like, you're so important and kind of like what we said earlier, you know, you're not bad because you fought childhood cancer. You're not bad because your family's going through this or you've done anything wrong, but you are royal and you still are so important to God and you are still a child of God and you're still, you know, royal and even royalty fights cancer, you know, because sometimes when I work with teenagers, they're like, well, maybe I sinned. Maybe I did something wrong. You know, you have parents that are like, maybe God's coming. Maybe this is karma for something I did when I was in high school. And I'm like, no, it's not because even royals, even the most important people on earth have a trial. And this is what your family is going through and we're going to help you through it. And when you look at this crown, I want you to look at it and know how important you are. And so that's kind of where it all stems from that. We all get our crown, rather we win or lose on earth. And, um, so that's, that has to do with like the party and the donation and kind of from there, just like one thing led to another. I am definitely like a visionary. Like I can tell you, I have the Leah's kids camp in the hospital and everything made in my head. And so I just kind of took one thing and I would roll with it and see how it would go and then start another thing and roll with it. And, you know, so I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. (laughs) No, that's great. I love it. I think one thing you said there, I think is really interesting to hit on. I don't know that I really talked about karma much on the podcast but I remember karma is like such an interesting like philosophy slash belief that's really common amongst people today. And I remember like when I was in college, I did like, I minored in philosophy. So I would like love to like tackle things like this and be like, is karma real? Like what is like the basis of it? Right. And like, kind of like theologically or like um, just rationally investigate something. Right. And I think that's exactly right. When you look at karma so often is viewed as something that um, is, is beneficial when you are rewarded in life, right? Like people love to like invoke karma and be like, this is my karma. Like I deserve this. You know, like you see a lot of uh, the, the treat yourself days that people have, like we live in a lot of like, I deserve more culture um, yes. amongst, especially young people in the U S um, and Western world in general. Um, but they also love it like on their enemies when something bad happens to people they don't like. Right. So when something good happens to you or when something bad happens to other. And then sometimes also when something bad happens to you, similar to what you just described, but I used to always say like, how do you describe karma for somebody who's like, you know, living in severe poverty in Africa? Like what, what did they do wrong to deserve? They were born in like, I'm like, this is the most foolish like philosophy to believe in because it just, it always either pumps you up too much. It's the opposite of humility basically. Right. Because it either makes you feel too terrible about yourself or too good about yourself. <laughs> it's like sometimes like a lot of life just happens to you. Right. You're in control of a lot of it, but a lot of it just happens to you. Um, so I just want to go on a little tangent about karma then. Uh, but so thank you for, for bearing through that. But how many of the crowning parties have you gotten to do so far? Do you have an idea? So we average about 12 a year. So I try to do about one a month. I would love to do more. I am also a full-time college student. So, right. you know, we, we, uh, schedules hectic. Um, but 
right now we do about one a year. And so we've done over 20, maybe wow. 18, 20. Yeah. That's we've awesome. done a lot. Cause some months, some months we take off some months we do two, like this month I'm right. doing two next month I'm doing two. So it really, it really fluctuates. Um, yeah. but I always strive to do one at one a month at the where very you, least. Where do you go to school? I don't know if you mentioned that. So, yeah, so I go to Texas A&M Commerce University here in, in North Texas, and then I'm studying early childhood education. Okay, gotcha. That's awesome. So I think, you know, with that, you said that the families are able to do whatever they want with the check that they receive, right? And mm-hmm. I would assume that probably at least some portion of a lot of the checks goes to, to medical bills, because I'm sure that the medical bills for most are are pretty insane, um, you know, and extremely high. And so I'm curious, this is kind of a random thought and we'll get back to the other stuff in a second, but um, I, I assume and you as a practicing Catholic, you know, you said that we could talk about anything. I know your sister does a lot of pro-life work, right? Like I assume you're at, at most middle, maybe a little bit more politically right. Um, but you can tell me where you are and correct that gauge if, if I'm off terribly. But I'm curious, one thing that I think is really interesting and I think is really challenging, especially to, to Catholics on the right, is uh, the healthcare system. And so I'm kind of just genuinely curious. And if you don't have a detailed opinion on this, feel free to just tell me that. But I'm curious if you like what your perspective is, because I think that while like emotional arguments are not always the best, but somebody who has experienced something um, or you get to witness a lot of families who experience, obviously your dad being in the military, I'm sure was probably somewhat helpful. Um, maybe not. I don't know, you know, know the full story. I just know some military families who've gone through things like that, where having the military healthcare, you know, the government healthcare can be, can be beneficial. Obviously there's downsides to government healthcare as well. I've experienced that myself. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, like, are you, are you like, because of experiencing this, um, do you find yourself like super pro like Medicare, like Medicare for all, or like, where do you kind of find yourself and see the the right path for the United States on that. So this is kind of like a legislative oh, policy question. A political question. <laughs> but, a political, yeah. I can tell you that I have grown up in a very um, conservative, repu- very strong Republican household. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't want to sound like an idiot or anything. I haven't stayed completely up to date on where Medicaid and all that is at right now. But I can tell you that, of the families we help are all on Medicaid Mm. and they all are receiving government help just because I have kiddos losing houses. I have kiddos who have now moved into other people's houses. I've had a lot of single moms where where they get diagnosed and the dad leaves. And so we have some, a lot of our families are really extreme financial positions to where like, if I could cut them a check of like 20 to 30,000, I would, I can't because I have 120 kids on a waiting list right now. Um, But yes, I don't know if that answers exactly your question, but. Yeah, sure. No, I think, I think for me, I just think it's something that, especially those of us on the political right, it's something that I'm definitely uh, more sympathetic to when it comes to like, uh, progressive policies. Um, and I don't think that I'm like necessarily for Medicare for all, because I still realize like how I, I think I see that both systems end up being like pretty trash. Um, you know, when you think about like in the, in Canada or in a lot of like European countries where they do fly those who can afford it to the United States to get things done because they don't have to wait eight months to see a doctor, right? Like there's, right. 
there's benefits to it. I mean, I've had, um, you know, I go to the dentist now and like any, any filling or like work that I've had on my teeth, they're like, yeah, we're going to have to replace this in a couple of years. Cause the army uses the cheapest things to like fix your teeth. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that super sucks. Right. Um, and so like things like that, where you kind of realize like, okay, well, even when it's free, it's not always the best. Um, right. But yeah, well, I still think America's a business, right? You know, absolutely. we're still, where's the money going to come from? Like, if, so if they give me free healthcare, they give you and they give everybody here in town free healthcare. Okay. Well, at the end of the day, who's paying for that? Well, it's a tax dollars who are paying for exactly. it. And, and where's us. that? Yes. Which is the working class. And so I could go to college, bust my butt, get 4.0 GPA, have a beautiful bachelor's degree, work five days to maybe six days a week. And then half my paycheck is taxes to pay for people who may not be working or, you know, and we can get into all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, where's the money going to come from? And it's going to come from the working class. So I think it's, yeah. That's, I think that's we're the on the same trouble. track here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the trade-offs thing is something I've heard. Um, I remember uh, your fellow Texan, Dan Crenshaw, representative Dan Crenshaw talking about um, if you ask a progressive, you know, like um, what do you want? And it's some radical change. And when do you want it? The answer is now um, when you ask uh, a conservative, typically, what do you want? It's incremental change. And, and he says, when do you want it in due time? Right. Like over time, like when we can handle it. And I think that's, I, I see that with so many people, even when it comes to budgeting, right? Like this is why we're so bad at budgeting. Um, I think as millennials and just young people in general, because it's like, we'll just consume, 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 which is what the United States, it's not just millennials. I mean, boomers, I think really kind of started us kind of on this trajectory that we're on now in a certain sense, uh, fiscally and financially and personal finance. But um, when you think about just this kind of consume, 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 it's like, well, where does, like when you, when you have a budget, which the United States does, right? We only have a certain amount of money. I'm down to like take money from something else and put it towards helping families like the families that you're helping. Um, I think what I'm not for is exactly what you're saying is like, I feel like I get taxed a lot already. Like why would we increase the taxes more as we're all just trying to make it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially where we are in North Texas, like it's getting so expensive to live here. People, hundreds of people are coming in in a day, but then you also have people that can't, can't keep their head above water. And when you can't keep your head above water, you have to, and this is kind of going on a tangent, can't keep your head above water. You then have both mom and dad working full time. Well, who's raising the kid, the kids in the daycare system, who's raising who, so then who's actually raising your kid, the daycare system is, and then you have, okay, well, who's running that? Are they morally in line with what you're seeing? And I know that's like a whole other thing, but life is getting very expensive on on all aspects. But then if we, you know, and I think back to what you were saying is like, people just want to buy and spend because we want instant gratification. And, you know, people they're chomping at the bit for that. And, um, but yeah, absolutely. Yes, it's getting, it's getting very complicated nowadays. <laughs> yeah. That's super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I love that you shared that. And so I want to, I want to continue talking about it, but I just want to give uh, you an opportunity to share too, of like, where can people, if people want to help, you know, and give to, to Leah's kids, where do they go to do that? Oh yes, my favorite part. No, um, okay. <laughs> so you can. Oh goodness, Leah's kids is, is everywhere. So we service families from zero to seventeen years old with any type of pediatric cancer. So any type, as long as the child is in active treatment and they live in the United States of America, and we service them primarily in North Texas, but then also we're nationwide. And how you could really learn more about Leah's kids is going to our website. It's 
www.leahskids.org. You spell Leah, L-E-I-A. <laughs> so it's L-E-I-A-S-K-I-D-S.org. But then we're very active on social media. You can follow us at Leah's Kids on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, our Instagram is like Leah's underscore kids. Um, but really we're, we're everywhere. So if you ever want to learn more, like, please, if you want to send us an email, like we love always talking and working with families. And yes, we financially help families, but then we also walk with families. Mm-hmm. We also, you know, we had a kiddo who actually passed away this past week and, you know, we got the family hooked up with grief counseling and we're getting, we're sending them on a hope and healing retreat and, you know, they needed a dishwasher. And then we have families who couldn't afford summer clothes. And so like, whatever that is, like, please reach out to Leah's kids. We would love to help you. We also, one of our newer things that we release this past year is called my battle plan journal. And so they're nine weeks journal. So little books. And in these journals, we hand them out to kids all over to hospitals, social workers, you name it. And we give them to kiddos for free, but you can also sponsor one for only $20. Uh, But we get, and this is a great way for a kiddo to write down what he or she is feeling for mom and dad to chart for be a keepsake. So long story short, there's so many ways you can get involved, uh, even just praying for these kids. Because we're asking these tiny humans to fight a battle that even us as grown adults struggle with. And now it's in the form of a kid. So if you can just pray for them, we have over 120 kids and families on a waiting list right now for Leah's kids. And as you can imagine, 120 that's that's a long list of families in need, a long list of families needing hope. But then financially, that's a lot of families to help cover bills for. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, we talk often about, especially in my financial excellence uh, episodes and things like that, about the importance of tithing. And I always encourage people, you know, the church recommends 10% for tithing. That's obviously the goal to get to. If you can do more, it's great to do more. But if you're working your way up to that, that's great too. The way I always try to break it down is 50% to the church, to the parish that I go to, um, include some extra in there for maybe like capital campaigns or the bishop's annual appeal. Then the other 50%, I like to share with things like this, the, you know, ministries and um, organizations who are doing work that you're passionate about or that you feel really uh, drawn to or called to, right? Because we're not all able to, I mean, you have, you have a great privilege as you describe it of getting to go and spend time with these families, right? You get to go to the the crown of kid parties and things like that. Um, And we don't all get to go do that, but it's a great way to participate in the work that you do, right? So I'd love to give to pro-life organizations, organizations like what you're doing, um, and so I'm excited down to, to be able to buy some journals and stuff like that after this, um, because we got, I always say, you know, when I, um, get behind on tithing, cause it's, it's weird working in sales, you have like commissions and things like that. So it's not always right. even, so always, I'm always like, yeah, I got, or, or speaking events and things like that. I'm like, I owe God some money. So I'm always looking for great things to give to. So we'll be, uh, we'll be definitely supporting you here after this, um, as a, as a thank you for you coming on. And just because we, we love what you do. Um, but I want to ask you about your balancing of school and ministry, because I think that I do a horrible job of this. And so I'm really curious as how you do that, um, because, you know, yeah, trying to do the ministry and um, I have a full time job. I uh, am married, you know, and then we're house hunting and things like that. Like all of it can be like all consuming. And so I'm sure both of these things, when you're so passionate about something like Leah's kids, I mean, how do you stop? You know, it's like you never want to like you never want to go to bed. You don't want to do anything right. else. Like, how do you, how do you fr- like frame your time and, and, you know, discipline yourself to be able to do both well? 
Well, I can tell you that I love my Google calendar. Um, mm. It's anytime anybody wants to do anything, I always go to my Google calendar and I'm like, okay, when am I doing this week? Um, and then I kind of have a day each week, normally like on the weekends where I kind of prepare for the upcoming week. And I just kind of mentally go through it, be like, okay, I'm here and then I'm here and then I'm, here, you know, that type yeah. of thing. Uh, but really, I want to say like, I have this perfectly in plan, I guess you can say for balancing, especially being, you know, in college full-time and running Leah's kids full-time, but Leah's kids is my passion. I love being able to help these kids. I love being able to give them hope. And I love being able to plan a memory for mom and dad. So they don't have to worry about a family and meeting ends me and their bills and all that and giving them family time at the parties. But yes, I do have my own life I have to live outside of work. But Leah's Kids is so much a part of my life that everything I do, my prayer life, my social life, it always leads back to Leah's Kids because I know Leah's Kids is the mission that God has given me. But I also can tell you that sometimes, no matter how, this, someone gave me this piece of advice when I was in high school and I started Leah's Kids. And it was no matter how hectic your day is, and no matter how exhausted you are, you need to take at least 10 minutes. It could be 2 a.m. in the morning. You take 10 minutes to turn your brain off. And that's doing something that you love. So maybe at night it's watching TV. Maybe it's eating your favorite meal. Like whatever that is, you need to take the short amount of time and to turn your brain off else your brain will never shut down. And then that's, you know, when you get sick and that's when you get negative and that's when like you need to be able to recharge. So I can tell you that like I am the person who sits in class and I will write handwrite my thank you notes for Leah's kids or I will like write we have summer interns. And so I will be in class and I will like be messaging my interns <laughs> and my staff and then like I'll be doing my accounting and looking at like payroll and everything while in class. And so, no, I don't have a perfect system, but I think my love for Leah's kids beats it out. But then also like I have things I love to do. Like I'm a huge runner. I love running. And I know that's weird, but I always have. So yeah, I schedule, I, even if it's 20 minutes in the morning, I will go on that run. Even if it's like a mile, like, because I know like that is something that like, for me, I want to do. And then it's like, okay, well, I worked hard all day, but you know, I love ice cream. So I'm going to eat my ice cream tonight, even if it's at 1am and that's the first time I sit down. So I think just having those small things that bring you joy and just, having those in your schedule and just knowing like, okay, that's brings me happiness outside of work and having that in, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but yeah. that's something I do. And it's worked for me. Like I can tell you that this is like, I think my sixth phone call of the day, even though this is a podcast recording, but like, I've like, my days are like early to late and it's very scheduled. And that's kind of where you have to be is just scheduled and organized. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. What I think was really, really good that I took out of that too, that I think so many people need to hear is that even though you're so organized and I think you're much more organized than I am, is that it's still messy, right? Like it still bleeds over into like one bleeds over into the other. And I'm sure you're like, doing homework while you're like traveling to crown of kid parties, you know, yes. and you're doing <laughs> work for Lee's kids while you're in class and stuff like that. And I think that's where people, and it's hard to cap that, right. You have to be careful because one can like dominate the other and you can really mm -hmm. lose certain things in your life. But I think 
having those weekly kind of planning sessions where you start to evaluate where you're at is the most important thing because so many people want it to be like perfectly structured all of the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, dude, it's just, yeah, that it's just never exist. that easy. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think if you mentally go in knowing to be flexible, I think that can be my greatest piece of advice is to be, you know, have your why and be flexible. Cause I can tell you that people sometimes ask me for my business plan and I'm like, that's don't ever ask me for my business plan because I don't have one because God is literally my business plan. I'll open my email <laughs> and, and and each day is so different because I'm like, well, I wasn't that's expecting funny. that to happen today. And that's just the course of my life. It's multitasking, being flexible and just surrendering. I'm just like, here you go. Like someone called me to come speak at a retreat. And I was like, okay, here we go. Wasn't planning that, but I would absolutely love to. But it's just like one of those things that you don't know what God is working in the future or working in somebody else. So to be flexible and be able to just go with it and just surrender it is great. But another thing that has really helped me, and I can keep going on this, but another thing that has really helped me, and I know I talked about St. Therese earlier, is that like she talked about being so weak and like, not knowing anything and, you know, feeling like she had no power and that God was in control. That's literally me. Like I, like growing up, I felt like that. I was like, well, I struggle with school. I struggle with reading and handwriting and science and history. And I have these headaches and, you know, I really am not good at this. I'm not the best athlete, but I'm good, but I can't do this, but I can do this, you know, like all those different things. And then I really dove into my relationship with St. Therese and I was like, her entire life story is talking about like being weak and not knowing. And I was like, if St. Therese, the St. Therese is weak and felt like she didn't know anything that I don't need to know anything either, because look at where she's at everybody, you know? And that yeah. is what gave me so much comfort is knowing that I didn't have to be good at anything. So, because God will take care of it. So I was like, well, if I fail, I fail. All I know is that I'm giving it to God. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. That's so cool. I think it is great. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear the, the trust and the surrender of all of it, you know, and I think going back to what you said earlier about trying to find your purpose of what is it, what's your, why, what gets you excited? What do you feel most passionate about? It's those things that like the way that I found it. And I think that we relate to each other um, for me seeking excellence and a couple other things in my life. And for you, Leah's kids, I'm sure other things in your life and your faith and both of our faith lives and prayer and things like that. But those things that you don't mind doing at like after 9 PM, right? Like when everybody else wants to go to bed and, you know, they're tired and and everybody's usually just kind of living like a normal life and just wants to watch Netflix. Like the thing that like, like what I know that like I'm obsessed and I love CKXs is when I like have to go do something with friends or sometimes like I go to Bible study usually on Wednesday nights, but I'm like, man, I really just want to like podcast or I want to write tonight. I want to do something else. You know, I want to organize my podcast schedule and like reach out to guests and do these things. Like even when like good things are competing with like your desire to, to do this certain mission. Right. Or sometimes, um, yeah, like I've had times where I'm going to a baseball game with friends or something like that. It's like, but I just really want to do X, Y, or Z, you know? Right. Um, you really want to send that email because you know what it can lead to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's huge. So I think that's a good way to kind of, um, to, to get after it too. But, um, one other question I had for you, we can start to wrap up with this one is, how you balance, obviously there's a lot of excitement and a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion behind these kids for you. Uh, and it's been so cool. And you've done such a great job, you know, during this episode to, uh, describing that and really um, showing that, but I'm curious how, you know, you talked about um, 
the child you posted about the, the kid that recently passed away. I remember scrolling across it and like stopping and pausing my day and just saying a quick Hail Mary um, for that kid. But I'm curious, like, how do you balance um, or how do you continue to like remain so positive, optimistic and hopeful? Because uh, while you deal with the heaviness of it, because it has to be you know difficult as you do these things for these kids, you go close, go close with them. Um, and obviously, you know, going in that like, you're going to like, not all of them are going to survive. Right. So mm-hmm. how do you kind of deal with that and continue to be so uh, joyful and, and just kind of, yeah, hope giving? Yeah. So I think it came down to a moment in my life again. And I was like, this is my mission, but I know God didn't create me to cure cancer. I'm not the scientist. I'm not the the surgeon. I that's not my skill set. That's not who I am. He didn't call me on earth to cure it. He didn't call me to take it away, but he called me to give them hope and to give them faith. And you know, sometimes at these crown of kid events in magical, powerful ways, I've had families come come to faith through our events. And it's the most mind-blowing, beautiful thing I've ever been a part of. And I have to know that it's almost like kind of sticking in my lane that on my end, I can't take it away. Like I, I couldn't have physically saved Adeline. She had a terminal brain cancer as much as I wanted to. And as much as I prayed, I knew that's not where God was calling me, but God was calling me to be with her little sister, Avery, and to walk with her sister through it and to help her mom and to hold her mom when she was crying in my arms and to give their family a lasting memory that lasts forever. And that's what helps me is knowing that I can't do one thing, but I can do this other thing. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because I know that souls are on the line for this. And that is what helps me, but I'm not going to lie. Like I cried when Adeline passed away and I went to her funeral and it was so sad and so emotional, but at the end of the day, isn't our goal to get to heaven. And now it's a whole other ball game when you're talking about a six-year-old that's passing away like that, that in itself is something her, that that is something totally different. And it's so hard but I know that that wasn't my calling was to take her tumors away. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is something that has really helped me, but it's still, it still is really hard. Like I was talking earlier this morning, I was talking with someone, uh, um, a grandfather messaged me about the, my battle plan journals that I told you about earlier. And he was like, thank you so much. My granddaughter absolutely loved it. We got to use it. And I was like, wow, I'm so happy. Please let me know if we can do anything else for you guys. I can send you more, like whatever you need. And he was like, well, actually she passed away last night. And it was just like, oh, like, and it's like one of those things that I wasn't expecting, but in the childhood cancer world, death is, it's there. It's real. It's, it's always around us. Um, and it's, yeah, it, there's no like perfect answer, but I would say just kind of knowing what God has called me to do in these situations, like that helps me a lot, but like my heart, it does break. It It is sad. It is hard. And then as the leader of this mission, then going to a room full of adults and standing up and being like, we lost a kid today, or we need to plan a funeral. Like those are hard. And you know, like, I've cried in front of people. The other day I was in a room full of like 75 adults and I just busted up crying and just being like, 
this is this is where we're at, guys. And you know, that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's so that's so good. Yeah. I think there's so much uh like St. Teresa of Calcutta in that too, of like doing small things with great love and just realizing like um that those people might not have the the presence of God until you bring it, you know, just like in your presence, in your own faith as well. And just how powerful and, and real that is. Uh, to be able to journey through pe- uh, with people in that way um, and minister to them in, in this you know dark and difficult time that they're in. It's so beautiful. And so I just want to encourage people with that again to consider and, and pray about giving to Leah's kids because one thing that I love about it too is that when you get to these big organizations and I, you know, we don't need to name any specifically, but a lot of times they can be corrupt or you give to, you know, certain like organizations that you're like, how much of that money actually goes towards research or towards helping the families or whatever. And uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you said you have payroll and things like that. Like there's obviously not almost any organization that hundred percent of the donations are going towards it, but what you can donate to here, I think is donating to, to loving people. Um, and when you're not able to physically go and do that, um, we're obviously all called to do that with the people that are around us, but I think it's so cool. It's such an opportunity you're giving people to participate in this work of love and this act of charity um, in such a way that, you know, we know that not only are you actually like doing great and wonderful things with the money, but also for those of us, especially who are passionate Catholics to know that um, there's not anything like non-Catholic going on. You're actually forming people, you're bringing people, uh, obviously not, you know, throwing the catechism, you know, at people at the the parties, I would assume, but you are providing people with the truth, with the, the formation that you have as a Catholic and bringing Christ to them in that way, which is super awesome. Right. Well, yeah, thank you so much. And that is something really unique about Leah's kids that we can do is right, is bring the faith in a roundabout way that maybe the family doesn't even see. But by the end of the event, somehow every single event, it the family has left so impacted. And it's not like I have a schedule and be like, okay, and impact with my Catholic faith at two o'clock, you know, right. <laughs> it's just the atmosphere of the event. But then also the cool thing about Leah's kids is that we walk with the family. So I still talk to my first ever kiddos that we've crowned and wow. we still stay in contact. And I talk to moms and dads on the phone and siblings. And I'll even go back like the other day I had a water balloon fight with one of my kids. They let they're like, Hey Leah, they called me. And I was like, sure, I'm close. And like, those are the things because then it's reoccurring. Like, yes, they only have one donation and one party, but then the atmosphere of walking and giving them hope like that just doesn't end. You know, they just don't come in, receive and leave. They stay because they're part of our Royal family. Right. That's so awesome. Well, I'm excited for, for one day that I'm sure will happen when you're a confirmation sponsor of one of the kids. <laughs> oh my goodness. That would, would be, be super dope. That would be amazing. I yeah. would, I would, I would be excited. That would be, that would be big. That's what I'm going to be praying for within, within praying for Leah's kids. That's that going to be my own little personal intention for you in there. Thank um, you. <laughs> but absolutely, man, it was so good talking with you. Thank you so much again for, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nathan, for taking the time and wanting to hear about childhood cancer and Leah's kids, but then also, you know, your heart of serving and giving back to others. And, you know, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're amazing. Absolutely. Thank you. And I hope everybody listening today, as I said, I hope you consider giving to Leah's kids, but I hope you really enjoyed this episode and I hope it impacted you and helped you to understand how you can love those who are going through deep suffering, um, how you can be there for them, and maybe give you some hope and some perspective and context with suffering you might be going through as well. And so just want to encourage you to continue to fight hard and strive to be your best. Know of our prayers for you and God bless.